Well, good evening, everyone. Good to have you here. Acts chapter 27 tonight. If I had to entitle this chapter, I think I would entitle it Peril at Sea. Paul finally gets on a boat and is heading to Rome, where God promised that he would go, but it's not without its storms, as we're going to see. One of the things that I'd like to point out, though, right at the beginning is this. This chapter is pretty exhilarating and is filled with a bunch of details about this travel. You might say, how do we know so much detail about this trip? Well, notice in the very first verse of chapter 27, when it was decided we would sail to Italy, the we includes Luke. The reason we know so much about what went on here is because Luke, the author of this book, was actually there. He was on the ship with Paul and with others. In fact, we learn in chapter 27, verse 37, that there were 276 people on board this ship. It wasn't a small vessel. It was a pretty good-sized vessel for that day and age. And there were three kinds of people, if you will, on this ship. There were the Roman soldiers and the centurion that was primarily in charge of this venture because the Roman Empire was in charge of the world and so the Romans were going to control what went on there. Then there is the captain of the ship and the sailors that were actually manning the ship and they could have been from anywhere in the Roman Empire and then you have the prisoners that were going to Rome to be dropped off along with the cargo that was on the ship as well. What I want to share with you tonight is this. Every one of us here tonight is, has either just come out of a storm in our life, we are in the midst of a storm, or we are probably getting ready to go into a storm at some point. And so this passage of Scripture, I think, is going to be of great encouragement to us because if I had to sort of summarize this entire chapter, this chapter would be a great, example of the verse from Romans where Paul says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Because there is so much against Paul and the others in this chapter that it's incredible, and yet they get through. And so I hope that this will be an encouragement to you. So what I want to do first of all is look at all the things that were against Paul and the others on this ship from the outset. You'll notice as they begin to put out to sea in verse 4, that immediately it says, the winds were against us. And then in verse 7, we were sailing with difficulty. Verse 8, with difficulty we sailed along the coast. I mean, this was not easy from the outset. And let me remind you of this. Paul was going in the direction God wanted him to go. Paul was doing what God wanted. Paul was in God's will, and yet there were winds that were blowing against him. You and I have to remind ourselves as Christians that just because there are winds against us, just because the road is difficult, doesn't mean that somehow 
we shouldn't be on this road or that God is not in it or this, we must have gotten our signals crossed with God because somehow maybe we bought into the theology or the philosophy that if I'm doing what God wants me to do, then there should be no contrary winds. There, there should be no storms that come up. There should be no difficulty. It should be smooth sailing, right? No, no, not at all. And we're going to talk more about that. So the first thing that they face as they start off on this venture to Rome on this ship is the tremendous winds and difficult sailing and, uh, and vessel maneuvering circumstances that they were facing. But then notice this as well. In verse 9, because they were facing such adversity to begin with, it slowed down their time. They didn't make it as far along the coast as they thought. So verse 9 tells us that because considerable time had already passed, the voyage was now even more dangerous because the fast, meaning the Day of Atonement, was already over. What that simply means is this. That was in the late fall. And in this part of the world at this time, they pretty much shut the shipping down from, say, November through March. It was just too dangerous. The, the, the winds, the storms that would come up, the conditions on the sea, uh, the waves and all of that. So if they didn't make it to a certain point, then they probably wouldn't go. So they were getting to that point. They weren't quite there yet, but they were getting to that point. So Paul, notice in verse 9, and then into verse 10, advise them, men, I can see the voyage is going to end in disaster and great loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But, verse 11, the centurion, who again was the Roman Empire representative on this ship, so he was actually the one in charge even more than the captain of the ship, was more convinced by the advice of the captain, and notice this, this is no small thing, and the ship's owner, why were they trying to convince the centurion, let's keep on going? Money. You see, the, the quicker they could get the cargo and the prisoners to Rome, the quicker they could get paid. So they were weighing the risk. And to them, it was worth the risk. To Paul, it wasn't. And you've got to think, my goodness, if anybody wanted to get to Rome and get this over and get this next chapter of his life over with, it would be Paul. He's already waited two years, and finally now he's on this ship. But he's like, you know what? And, and here's a, a good sort of example for us. Yes, there are things in our life that we will never accomplish if we're not willing to take measured, appropriate risk. I mean, there just isn't. And even with God and spiritually, we'll never truly experience all that God has for us if at times we're not willing to take measured appropriate risks. But there's also time where that line is crossed and where the risk and, and all of that is too great. And Paul here is determining, not by a vision from God, not by some revelation from God, simply by his own wisdom that God gives all of us, he's saying, I don't think we should go. I think it's a bad idea but obviously the centurion listens to the captain and to the ship's owner. So, the first thing that was against Paul as he got on the ship was the winds were against him from the outset, which made the 
sailing of this vessel very difficult. The second thing we run into that Paul's now facing is now he has become the, uh, the participant in a bad piece of advice uh, and, and a choice that the centurion now is making to go ahead with the, with the, uh, the voyage in spite of the risk. You see, there's some times in our life where, unfortunately, we become uh, part of someone else's bad choices. We become part of somebody else's unwise choices, and we have to face the consequences of what they've done. We didn't do anything. We might have even advised against it, but because we're on the same sort of ship that they're on, we're, we're connected to them in some way, we're going to deal with that as well. And so that's the second thing Paul had against him. Not only were the winds against him, not only were the sailing conditions against him, now he's going to be caught up in the bad choice and the very unwise decision that the centurion makes to keep on going for this reason. Third thing they face. Even though in verse 13 it says, from this port a gentle south wind sprang up and they thought, oh good, we're, we're good. Now suddenly, verse 14, the perfect storm <laughs> hits the ship. That's what I call it, the perfect storm. It is in the Net Bible described as a hurricane force wind. This was bad. It was really bad. In fact, you'll notice in verse 16, once again, because of the hurricane force wind, with difficulty, they had even trouble getting the ship under control. Verse 18, we were violently battered by the storm. Verse 20, a violent storm continued to batter us to the point where all of them on the ship abandoned all hope of being saved. It was so bad, all of them said, we're going to die out here in the middle of the ocean. So again, I remind you, Paul's headed in the right direction, right? Paul's doing what God wants him to do. He's going to Rome, and God promised him that he'd get there. But Paul faced difficult winds, Contrary wind. He faced getting caught up in a very unwise decision. It would have probably been better if they would have waited until spring and then made the voyage. Then because of that decision, they're out there in the middle of this body of water and this huge perfect storm hits the ship and they're being battered and thrown around and beaten up to the point where they feel like we're all going to die out here. Okay? doesn't end there. Notice the fourth thing. And I'm, I'm jumping ahead into the story here, but I want to I compartmentalize all the things that sort of go together. Once they felt that they were getting closer to land, there was a very critical time where they needed all hands on deck to be able to get this boat to run aground safely so that all 276 people on board could be saved. So notice up in verse 30, the sailors on the boat are like, no, we are, we're jumping ship, literally. We are out of here. The sailors were going to try to escape from the ship. They were lowering one of the, you know, boats, the side boats, one of the smaller boats off of the side and going to pretend like they were doing something that they should have been, and then they were all going to cut and run. Paul 
figures out what's happening. And Paul says to the centurion who's in charge and the soldiers, unless these sailors stay with us, you're not going to be saved. We need all hands on deck. We need every. So now you've got the winds, you've got the bad advice, you've got the perfect storm, and now you've got the sailors on board getting ready to jump ship. Finally, after they basically are getting ready to run aground later on, towards the end of the story, the soldiers get the idea that if this ship breaks up and these prisoners just, you know, are able to go, they're all going to escape. So notice in verse 42, the soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners so that none of them would escape by swimming away. But the centurion now, wanting to save Paul's life, prevented them from carrying out their plan. So now you got the plans of the soldiers who want to kill Paul and all the other prisoners. These are all the things that this chapter points out that basically happened on the way to Rome on this journey. And you're going, oh my goodness, how many more things could have happened negatively on this journey to Paul as he was going to Rome? The terrible winds and difficult sailing conditions. The unwise decisions that put all of them in harm's way and in jeopardy. Then the perfect storm comes, battering the ship to the point where they all give up hope that they're going to be saved. Then you have the sailors wanting to jump ship. Then you have the soldiers who want to kill all the prisoners. And all I'm saying to you is this. This is a great example, and this is a great chapter of exactly what Paul says in Romans 8.31. If God is for you, then who can be against you? In other words, I don't care what storm hits you in your life. I don't care how many winds hit you. I don't care how many plans other people have. I don't care how many unwise decisions other people make around you that can affect you. If you're doing what God wants you to do, you will prevail, you will overcome, you will conquer. I don't care if the whole world is against you and every demon in hell you know, puts their focus on you, you will overcome with God, period. And that's what this chapter is reminding us of. No matter what the enemy throws at us, no matter what the world throws at us, no matter what circumstantially we have to go through, we have to trust in the Lord and put our faith in him, which is exactly what Paul does here. I want you to notice something here also in this chapter. This chapter is not only an encouragement about all the things that could come against us. And sometimes, isn't it true, even in our lives, we go, really, one more thing? <laughs> you know, it's like, can't we space them out a little bit? And this chapter sort of points that out too. Is it was just like one thing after another. Boom, 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 boom. And you're going, whoa, okay? But here's something we need to keep in mind. Not only if we trust in the Lord and we're following him will we get through whatever we have to get through. But God, like Paul, wants his people to learn how to navigate storms. That's part of in his providence why he never totally removes the storms or the difficult winds or all of that from us. He wants us to learn how to navigate the storms of life. And here's one of the reasons why, and you see this in this chapter here. 
Because God not only wants us as his people to learn how to get through the storms of life ourselves, he wants to develop us into one of his followers that can lead others through the storm and even in the midst of those storms, be able to encourage them. And that's exactly what Paul does here in this chapter. You see, God is using him not just to get through the storm himself, but in the midst of all this, he is leading others through this storm and he is encouraging them through this storm. Notice, at the end of verse 20, when it says, Luke, we finally abandon all hope of being saved since many of them had no desire to eat. Verse 21, Paul stood up among them and he said, men, you should have listened to me. I told you so. Now, maybe Paul shouldn't have said that. But Paul's human, you know. I told you we shouldn't have done this, right? But then he says this, verse 22. I now advise you to keep up your courage, for there will be no loss of life among you. Only the ship will be lost. For last night, an angel of God, to whom I belong and to whom I serve, came to me and said, do not be afraid, Paul, which obviously implies Paul was having some fears too, in spite of the promise of God, that Paul, you'll get to Rome. I promise you that when you and I are in the midst of storms, I don't care how strong our faith is, there are times where it's like, are you sure, God? Are you sure? Remember John the Baptist? I mean, Jesus said there's no one finer than, greater than John the Baptist, but when John the Baptist was getting ready to have his head lopped off, he sent some of his followers to Jesus and said, I just want to make sure you're the Messiah. I don't want to get my head lopped off for nothing here. So again, in those intense times, yeah, we all sometimes have those second-guess moments and those doubts, but then hopefully, like many times the psalmist, we come right back to the bedrock of our faith, and that's what you see here with Paul. Because God promised him and reminded him of his promise in verse 24. You must stand before Caesar, and God has graciously granted you the safety of all who are sailing with you. So not only God in his grace is going to save Paul and bring Paul through it, but all 276 souls on board. Therefore, Paul says to them, keep up your courage, men. And this is a key phrase here. For I have faith in God that it will be just as I have been told. In other words, I believe in what God says. I trust in what God says. I believe in his promises. As we've sung about tonight, he's mighty to save, you see. He will get me through, and he will get you through too. So notice something here. Again, God came to Paul by an angel and not only was encouraging Paul, but then didn't want that to stay with Paul. He wanted to use Paul in the midst of this storm to use that information and that revelation to encourage others. Isn't that exactly what Paul said to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians when he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our tribulation, so in turn we can comfort others with the comfort by which we have been comforted by God. In other words, God doesn't just take us through the storms for our ourselves, he takes us through the storms, encourages us in the storms, comforts us in the storms, strengthens us in the storms, so in turn then we can encourage and comfort others when they're in the storms of life as well. It's exactly what you see happening here in this chapter. 
In fact, later on, as they are getting ready to run aground, notice over in verse 33, after 14 days of battling the waves and the storm and the difficult conditions, Paul urged them to take some food, saying, today is the 14th day. You have been in suspense and have gone without food. You've eaten nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for this is important for your survival, for not one of you will lose a hair from his head. And after he said this, I love this. Paul took bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all, broke it and began to eat. By the way, I believe Paul was just eating here, but isn't that a beautiful picture of exactly what Jesus did in the Last Supper? He took the bread, he broke it, he ate it, he gave thanks to God, exactly the same thing going on here. But then notice in verse 36, so all of them were encouraged and took food themselves. Again, what's Paul doing? What's God using Paul to do? He's using Paul in the midst of this storm to encourage and lead others through the storm. By the way, this part of this chapter is also a great reminder to us that sometimes the most spiritual thing you and I can do is to take care of ourselves physically. Did you, did you see that there? It was a very practical, that Paul, you know, Paul's just simply saying, guys, we all need to eat. Sometimes, guess what? The most spiritual thing you and I can do as a follower of Jesus Christ is to get the rest we need, to get the nourishment we need, to take care of ourselves physically. There's not a thing wrong with that. That, that is why God even set up one in seven, one in seven, one in seven, rest. Give your body the rest and recovery time that it needs. Give your body the nourishment that it needs. I will repeat. Sometimes the most spiritual choice you and I can make is taking care of ourselves physically, you see. And Paul points that out here. So, you have this great chapter on all these conditions and circumstances that were against Paul in this journey. And again, First of all, it reminds us that you and I can be going in the direction God wants us to go. We can be following God. We can be in his will. And we're still going to face storms. That's why God calls us to walk by faith and not by sight. Secondly, this chapter reminds us that in spite of everything thrown against us, that the whole world and the whole satanic world, in fact, could be against us, but if God is with us here, we will prevail, we will overcome, we will conquer, because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And if God is for you, who can be against you? It doesn't matter how much stuff is piled up against us, how many times it comes at us in rapid succession, God will make sure, just like he did with Paul, that we make it through, you see. Third, why does God allow the storms? Not only to help us to learn to navigate the storms of life ourselves and to do it well, but also to learn how to lead others and encourage others through the storms of life and in the midst of their storms. By the way, let's not forget the words of Jesus. Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew said, Please make sure you build your life upon the right foundation. Because remember what he said? 
the rains will come, the floods will come, and the winds will beat against that life, that house that's represented there. And he says it in both instances. He doesn't say, well, the one had it easy. No, he says in both instances, the rain will fall, the floods will come, and the winds will beat or batter that house. So Jesus said, make sure your house is built on the solid foundation. Because he says then, if the rains and the floods and the winds come, the house will hold up. But if you don't build your life upon the right foundation, he says, then your life will crumble. It will collapse. So the conditions are the same. And that's where we as God's people need to realize, you know, just because we're following God doesn't mean the conditions and circumstances of our life are going to be easy. At times, there's no way they're going to be easy. We're going to have our own storms and our own contrary winds and difficult circumstances to deal with. What God wants his people to learn to do is to navigate those storms and make sure that our life is built on the rock, the solid foundation, that no matter how much rain comes, no matter how much the floodwaters come, no matter how much the wind beats against our life, we can hold up. We can hold up. But one final thing I want to share with you out of this chapter tonight, and it's something really important that, again, we as God's followers need to be reminded of, and that is you and I in this world do not have to have a certain amount of power, prestige, and position to be a leader. You see, that's the world. The world tells us I got to ascend to a certain level. I got to have a certain role or responsibility in the church or in the world. I, I got I to, you know, be in this place and have this much power to be able to be a leader and to be able to have influence and make an impact in this world. And God over and over and over again in his word teaches us that's the world's philosophy. That's not my philosophy. And this chapter is a great example of that. Because let's not forget, Paul, as far as the people on the ship, was part of the lowest rung. He wasn't one of the Roman soldiers that was in charge. He wasn't one of even the sailors that would have been sort of the middle management. He was one of the prisoners. He was all the way down at the very bottom, and yet notice throughout this chapter that he's actually the one that's leading and he's actually the one eventually that even people are looking to. Why? Because this man walks with God. And it doesn't matter what position or power he has or he doesn't have. He is able to lead because of who he is, not what position or power he has. That's why in verse 21, I love that when it says, Paul stood up among them. And even earlier on, when he gave them the advice, even as they were leaving, like, guys, I don't think this is a good idea. The fact that he even had a platform to do that showed that they had some respect for this man, you see. There was something about him that drew them to him and that they were respecting him even though he was a mere prisoner. They could have said, Paul, just buzz off. We could care less what you think. But they didn't do that, ever. And then at the end, when he's, 
you know, saying, guys, we all need to eat. It's been 14 days. I know we've been through an intense storm here, but we got to take care of ourselves physically because we're getting ready to run this boat on the ground and we're going to have to swim to shore and it's every man for himself. And if we don't eat and at least get a little strength, we're not going to make it. And guess what? He was the one that was encouraging everybody else on that boat. All 275 other souls were looking to Paul, and yet he was a prisoner. He had no power. He had no position. He had no prestige. But he was a man of God. See, and he walked with God. And that's all God needs. He doesn't need you and I to somehow finagle our way into a certain position or whatever. He can use us to be leaders. In fact, can I say this? I believe God expects all of his people to be leaders. I really do. I think because we know God and we walk with the God of the universe that no matter where we are, we should be leaders. Now, again, how you want to define that, but I think that in a sense what I mean by that is simply we should be distinct. And, and that there should be something that separates us from those around us. And that, especially in time, people will begin to respect, if they don't, you know, maybe buy into what we believe, they will at least respect us enough that they will look to us. Sort of what even I said Sunday about people know who really pray and who grab a hold of God in prayer, and when they're in trouble, guess who they go to? They go to the people, the Christians, and the people that they know that pray to ask for help. Well, same thing. That's being a leader. I mean, you think throughout the Bible of, 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 again, different examples, and I use some of these even on Sunday. Think about David early on, not, not when he was king, but when he was the little shepherd boy who dared to walk into the military camp of the Israelites with all the generals and all the, all the people in armor and all of that, including his own brothers. And here's this little shepherd boy with his little, you know, uh, outfit on and, and his little stones and his sling and his little shepherd staff. And he comes in and guess what? He begins to lead and take over and, and, and challenge the giant and go out and face the, the greatest warrior that the Philistines ever had. He became a leader, but he was a shepherd boy. But he was following God. And you think about Daniel and his friends in exile in Babylon. They were just young people, just like the teens over here. They had no power. They had no prestige. They had no position in Babylon. But guess what? They became leaders that people looked to because they walked with God and they knew God. I even think about Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph was this young couple. They didn't have two nickels to rub together. They had no power. They had no position in this world. They had no prestige. But guess what? They were leaders. Why? Well, because God picked them out of everyone to be the mom and dad of the Son of God. That's being a leader. See, sometimes, again, even if it's subtle, we as Christians can begin to buy into the world's philosophy that I've got to have a certain amount of power that the world gives me and a certain amount of prestige and a certain amount of a position in order to lead others. And the Bible is filled with example after example, story after story of just very common, ordinary people that as far as the world was concerned, had no power, had no prestige, had no position as far as the world, and yet God was using them to lead. 
to lead this world and to lead others. Let me encourage you with this. Don't wait for the world or anybody else to hand you power, position, or prestige. Start leading right where you're at. Because if you know the Lord, if you are a child of God, if you are connected with the God that we sung about tonight, the greatness of our God, if we truly believe, as Paul did, that I have faith in the God, that things will be just as I have been told, that you and I believe and we claim and we cling to the promises of God, then that means that no matter what environment, no matter what circumstances, no matter what storm, no matter what situation we are in, we can be a leader. We can get through the storms and all of those things, and we can actually then get to a place where we can lead others and even encourage others in the midst of their storm. That's the message of Acts 27. Next week, finally Rome. Can you imagine? You, you ever been, you know, in that place where it's like you, you literally wanted to like get down on your knees and kiss the ground somewhere because you finally arrived somewhere where you can imagine that's what Paul feels like. Finally. I know what that feels like. None of you saw it but I snuck in here the night before the first service and I was like, finally. Actually, it was the afternoon. It wasn't the night. It was like, finally. It's like, yes. You know, when you get to that place where it's like you've been looking forward to something for so long and finally it comes, that's where we're going to end up next week and we're going to see. All the things that Paul encountered finally to get to Rome and how God used Paul once he got there. In closing tonight, here's what I believe God wants me to say. You may be just getting through a storm. You may be right now in the middle of a storm. Or you and I may be getting ready to go into a storm. God wants all of us to know, I will get you through that storm if you just hold my hand and follow me. It might be difficult. You might even in the midst of the storm like they did, we might get a little battered and, and beaten. It might not be easy, but God's going to get us through. We just need to keep demonstrating faith in our God and in what he has told us he will do. Because keep reminding yourself too, in the midst of the storms of life, God not only wants to teach us how to navigate these storms, he wants us to develop into the type of person that can lead others through the storms of life just as Paul did here and who can even encourage others in the midst of their storms. With the same comfort and encouragement that God gave us through our storms, we in turn can turn around and give that same comfort and encouragement to others. And then, let's all be reminded that God wants us to lead. And no matter what situation or circumstance, you and I find ourselves in. Because we know the God of the universe, we can stand up and stand out and we can lead. 
We do have something to say. We do have something to do. And God wants his people to be leaders in the world in which he has placed. I think that's one of the things that he means when he says, you're the light of the world. You're the light of the world. So don't hide your light. Let your light shine. Let's pray. God, tonight, I can't even imagine how Paul and the others were feeling at times on that ship. I have never been out in the middle of the ocean during a perfect storm. I have never been beaten and battered by a storm out in the middle of the ocean. The waves crashing, the wind howling. I'm sure just like them, humanly, I'd be scared to death. But yet, God, you remind us in this great story that you might not prevent the storms from coming, but you will get your children through. You will bring glory to yourself, and you will strengthen your children through the storms. Sometimes you calm the winds and the waves but sometimes you choose to calm your children. And so, God, I pray tonight that even like the disciples, that Jesus called out on the lake and then the storm came and they were scared and they were frightened and terrified, that we would have the faith in the middle of the storm to just keep trusting in you, knowing that if you're for us, there is no one or nothing that could be against us. God, you want your people to be strong, to build our lives on such a solid foundation that when the rains come, and they will, and when the floods come, and they will, and when the winds begin to beat against us, and they will, that we will be able to stand up against the storms. Lord, encourage us tonight. Strengthen us tonight. We need you, Lord. And I pray that if there's someone maybe that you've even laid on our hearts tonight, Lord, that we know is going through a real storm right now and you want us to in some way encourage them as they go through that storm. God, we would just follow the leading of your Holy Spirit and realize that the storms you've brought us through are so purposeful because you not only brought us through those storms for our own sake and for our own good and for your glory, but you brought us through those storms so that we could lead others through the storms and so we could encourage them in the midst of the storms. Go with us, God. Take us all home safely tonight. Bring us back Sunday that we might have again another wonderful time with you and with our brothers and sisters in Christ. These things we pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week.